Hi, Menlo Church. If we haven't met yet, I'm Chris, and I'm on staff at the San Mateo campus. We've been in a Lent series where we're feasting through the Gospel of John. I hope you've been following along with us in your Lent devotional and the weekly messages as we look at the life of Jesus and how he transformed relationships. I'm excited to dig in today as we look at Jesus as a generous provider. I recently got to see a glimmer of God's provision firsthand. My parents have a tiny vineyard and they needed help pruning the vines and bottling the wine. The vines were bare and almost looked dead except they had these little branches sticking out, which is what we cut off. And as we pruned the vines, I kept thinking of John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, and that this step was necessary for the vines to bear more fruit next year. My parents stuck those clippings in the soil to propagate new vines. They looked like dead twigs sticking out of the dirt, but they're very much alive. And this is how my parents got started, with clippings just like that. These clippings should take root within a few weeks, and then the cycle can start all over again. After pruning, we got to bottle the wine, and the contrast was amazing as we went from bare, almost dead-looking vines and branches to bottling and seeing, and maybe tasting a little, the, finish, the final product. And while there are clear warnings to avoid drunkenness, the Bible presents the image of the vineyard as a source of provision and blessing. John Crosby mentioned a few weeks ago that in moderation, wine is a blessing of joy and celebration. I wonder though, how often we look at Jesus's provision through and for us and others and only see a scarce vine with no fruit. We'll start today by looking at a passage of abundant provision beyond our imagination, the feeding of the 5,000 in John 6. This is the fourth of seven signs in John's gospel that reveal Jesus's glory and prove that he was who he said he was. Apart from the resurrection, this is the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four gospels. It's a big deal. So here's the text in John 6, 1 through 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 
After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So what do we notice in this passage? First, Jesus traveled to the far side of the sea, but the crowds followed him because they wanted to be a part of his miraculous healing. We know from the synoptic gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that he was seeking solitude. And this makes me wonder if being an introvert makes me more holy. So Jesus retreated to a mountainside in verse three and also later in verse 15. Mountains and hills are mentioned over 500 times in the Bible, but scholars have different ideas about their significance. Some say that the elevation makes it closer to God, while others say that mountains represent churches and church government. One thing we know for certain is that some important events in the Bible occur on or near mountains. One such event occurs in the Old Testament on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus where God revealed the Ten Commandments to Moses. This is important to note because in the very next verse, John mentions that the Jewish Passover festival was near. Passover commemorates the story of the Israelites' exodus from ancient Egypt. You may remember that God instructed the Israelites to sacrifice a spotless lamb and put its blood on their doorposts so that God would pass over their homes in his wave of judgment. And in the life of Jesus, some scholars believe that the Last Supper was a Passover meal. Just as God provided a way out of slavery for Israel and continued to miraculously provide for them in the wilderness, Jesus was providing a miracle feeding in this passage. In verse 5, Jesus asked Philip kind of a trick question to test him. We don't know why he questioned Philip. We know very little about him except that he was from the area. Maybe Jesus thought, hey, you're a local. You should know where we can pick up some food. But Philip calculates the numbers and concludes, it just can't be done. It's not possible. See, only the men were counted in the 5,000. There would have been thousands more, maybe 10 to 20,000 total, including the women and children. That's pretty intimidating in the world's economy. Meanwhile, Andrew finds a little boy with two fish and five barley loaves. Some scholars think the fish was more like a relish and barley bread was a noted food of the poor. Andrew has the courage to bring this little boy to Jesus, but he adds a disclaimer at the end. But how far will they go among so many? Like Philip, he's trying to solve the problem according to the world's economy. It seems that both Philip and Andrew failed the test. They saw the size of the problem, looked at what they had, and determined that it was impossible. So according to the world's economy, five plus two plus nothing equals scarcity, not enough. Jesus had an opportunity to show his glory, but the disciples saw the equivalent of a bare vine with no fruit. In verse 10, Jesus instructed the disciples to have the people sit down as he proceeded to give thanks and distribute the bread and fish. And they didn't get just little bites of food. They got to eat as much as they wanted. And when they were full, Jesus told the disciples to pick up the leftovers so that nothing would be wasted. And there were 12 baskets full. Apparently, Jesus wanted each disciple to have a doggy bag. 
So in God's generous economy, five plus two plus Jesus equals abundance, more than enough. After this miraculous sign, the people began to connect the dots between Moses and Jesus. Looking back at the miracle feeding of manna in the wilderness, they remember the promise that God will raise up a prophet like Moses, and they claim Jesus as that prophet. But like Philip and Andrew, they miss seeing Jesus as his true identity, as the embodiment of God's glory, power, and love. And they try to force him to be a worldly king. Have you ever noticed a human tendency to do the same thing as Philip and Andrew? Sometimes we face a problem or maybe even an opportunity. We look at what we have and we feel like it isn't enough. Maybe instead of bringing it to Jesus, we try to work it out on our own, but it doesn't work well. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, but we try anyway. God says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And we say, mm -hmm, I can handle it, I've got it. And like Philip and Andrew, we fail the test. What if it's a setup to see if we'll look up? When we look up, God promises to meet us. In his letter to the church in Philippi, the apostle Paul offered thanks to the Philippians for their gifts. They gave what they had to Paul to sustain his ministry and God multiplied it so he had more than enough. Paul said their gifts were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And then he relayed this promise. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It seems that God's generous economy is very different from the world's economy. We see a dead vine and Jesus sees 30 gallons of the finest wine. We see a glass that's half empty and Jesus sees a glass that's overflowing. We need to get out of our scarcity mindset and move toward an abundant mindset that informs how we live. So for the rest of our time, we'll look at three ways to live according to God's generous economy. One, begin with what you have. The boy only had a meager meal to feed thousands, but he gave all he had. Pastor Chuck Swindoll said, the size of a challenge should never be measured by what we have to offer. It will never be enough. Furthermore, provision is God's responsibility, not ours. We are merely called to commit what we have, even if it's no more than a sack lunch. In the church, we talk about giving your time, talent, and treasure, and these are all great things. But sometimes it's the intangible things that reveal our posture and heart toward God and others. For example, in the Old Testament book of Ruth, we see a widowed Moabite woman defying a command to go back to her country and instead professing loyalty to her Judean mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi's people, and Naomi's God. Ruth literally had nothing material to give, but she gave her loyalty, and God multiplied it by including her in Jesus's story, because Ruth is King David's great-grandmother, so she is part of the lineage of Jesus. What do you have to offer Jesus? Maybe it's the spiritual gift of prayer that can bless people through a prayer ministry. Maybe it's a passion for justice and God is calling you to partner with an organization that engages in restorative and social justice issues. 
or you care deeply about the next generation and can offer that heart to serve kids or students. I'm reminded of my friends, Shirley and Dave, who've been part of Menlo for over 40 years. They always had a huge heart for kids. So they brought that heart to Jesus and ended up fostering 115 kids over the years, most of them medically fragile babies. Yes, you heard me right. I said 115 kids. They were willing to give their hearts and Jesus turned it into an amazing foster care ministry. Two, get off the bench. Accept Jesus's invitation to participate. In the story we just read, Jesus didn't need the loaves and fish from the boy and he didn't need the disciples, but he invited them to participate. If they hadn't, part of his miracle, the abundant extra would have been wasted the NRSV translation uses the word lost instead of wasted. It's based on the Greek word apollomy, which denotes to destroy, perish, or kill. It's the same word used in the well-known verse, John 3.16, where we hear that God gave his son so that no one will perish. God seems to take his gifts and provision very seriously. Some of us have been understandably, sitting on the bench for over two years, waiting for the pandemic mess to get better. The isolation and sense of disconnectedness can be overwhelming and paralyzing. It's been hard for sure. But what if your gifts and calling are perishing while you're waiting? Imagine what Jesus could do if you took one baby step off the bench by, for example, sharing your faith with someone giving gratitude, or serving in your local community or campus. I think of my friend Ken, who got off the bench when our campus pastor asked him to find his serving spot. Ken and his family had recently purchased a very large home and were wondering how they could use the space. He was traveling a lot back then, so he didn't have very much time, but he stepped up to host and lead a life group anyway, and they've blessed their group with meals and a space for fellowship and growth. And God has multiplied it by launching two new groups from that group. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, so basically everything he's ever known, to the land that I will show you, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Notice that in verse one, it begins with a command to go. And in verse four, Abram went and God made good on that promise. He can do amazing things when we get off the bench. Three, believe Jesus can do the impossible. I chuckle sometimes when I read some of the ways the disciples doubted Jesus and his power or didn't understand what he was saying or doing. But the reality is that I probably would have done the same thing if I had been there. I actually do some of that now. I have this weird insecurity about providing food for my family. So I have a tendency to hoard food, like the Israelites hoarded manna on the Sabbath and it spoiled or perished. And sometimes it goes beyond hoarding food and it spills over into other areas of things like financial insecurity. I know in my head and heart that God is trustworthy, generous, and faithful, 
But I think sometimes I just give in to my human tendencies and limitations. I haven't witnessed miraculous provision firsthand, or at least not that I've recognized. Not like my husband, Daniel, who was completely broke when he had his child. They were out of baby formula and the bank account balance was dismally low. Buying formula might mean that they couldn't eat or pay rent. So he had to get formula. He walked out of the door to go to the store and there on the porch was a box of formula waiting for them. His sister, who had no idea how broke they were, had arranged with a friend to deliver formula and it kept coming for a year. God provided in Daniel's most desperate need and Daniel has had unwavering faith in God's provision ever since. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Even if we haven't witnessed miracles firsthand, we can have faith in God's goodness and provision. We can rest assured that for mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. Jesus can do the impossible when we bring our pain and grief to him like he did with my friends, Lisa and Gonzo. Their beautiful daughter, Isabel, was born with a rare condition called LCHAD deficiency that prevents the body from converting certain fats to energy. The ensuing years were spent attending to Isabel's special needs, going in and out of hospitals, and eventually going through the worst thing imaginable for parents, watching their child pass away at the tender age of 19. Instead of wallowing in self-pity and turning away from God, Lisa and Gonzo made an intentional choice to abide in Jesus. They learned in one of their grief groups that people lose friends when they lose kids. The subconscious thought is, well, if it can happen to them, it can happen to me, like it's contagious. They knew if they didn't make an intentional choice to truly live, their relationships would perish. So they chose to live and live life to the full, despite their grief and pain. Or as they say it, they chose to be better, not bitter. And they note the one letter difference. Lisa and Gonzo brought their pain and grief to Jesus and unknowingly asked him to multiply their relationships and influence. And Jesus has multiplied it so abundantly, I can't even name everything here, but I'll mention a few things. So when Isabel was young and they were still reeling from their reality, they worked with the March of Dimes to get a health trailer bill passed in California. At the time Isabel was born, newborns were only tested for four potential disorders. But because of their work, newborns are tested for over 50 different disorders now. Prior to that law passing, Lisa carried test packets in her purse and she would hand them out to pregnant moms to spread the word about the importance of screening. And people recognized them. They were in a People Magazine article and have done, had so much publicity. So they recognized them and have thanked them for their work because it's allowed their children to get tested. For some, it has saved their children from having permanent brain damage and it has prolonged lives. After Isabel's passing, they participated in Grief Share, where they received, but they also gave. They befriended multiple people, including a young woman who came to Grief Share a couple months after her mom passed 
and they've become like surrogate parents to her. They've inserted themselves into the life of a young couple whose daughter was born with a debilitating disorder and have walked with them through every step. At the height of the pandemic, when people were feeling isolated and disconnected, they hosted garage church and brunch with Gonzo's famous French toast. They probably could have sold tickets because so many people wanted to join the fun. They've used their experience navigating marriage through the toughest of times to bless others by facilitating the marriage course and mentoring young couples. God has continued to multiply multi-generational relationships to expand their influence, care, and community, ranging from a four-year-old pen pal to singles in their 30s and 40s to elderly widows. This is just a fraction of what Lisa and Gonzo have done in spite of their pain. They know that people inside and outside the church are watching them. One Menlo friend mentioned that they taught her how to grieve. Gonzo and Lisa like to say that they are always moving forward instead of moving on because the pain and grief will never go away. But they continue to bring it to Jesus who redeems it for his glory. So what are your loaves and fish? Is it a job, gifts, servant's heart, time, a child, marriage, divorce, or singleness, uncertainty, pain, dreams? What do you have that if you bring it to Jesus, miracles could happen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a mighty and generous provider. We thank you that you have given us things that maybe we don't even recognize in ourselves and whatever we have is enough because we don't do anything on our own. We do it with you, in partnership with you and with your power. God, we just pray for guidance in these days ahead that you will help us see whatever we have Help us bring it to you, get off the bench, and then uh, ask you to multiply it and sit back and watch you in your glory. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>